Good morning, Retreat Church. It's good to bring the Word of the Lord to you again today, and I pray that you're doing well um, and keeping in close contact with family and friends and maybe getting a bit of rest and doing that thing, and I trust that the Lord is meeting all of your needs. And um, this morning, we're going to talk about this time in the Christian faith, this very big, big, big moment in the Christian faith that sometimes, just to be honest with ourselves, we, we kind of, you know, we celebrate Easter, and then um, we kind of get back into a normal pattern, or we jump right into talking immediately about the day of Pentecost and the arrival of the Holy Spirit, and we kind of miss this massive moment that happened about 10 days before Pentecost, 10 days before the Holy Spirit came and indwelled His people. And if you've ever tried to follow someone somewhere, you'll know kind of the, the frustration of the, of the disciples and the apostles during this 10-day period because they had been following Jesus and that, that's what He invited them to do. That's what when his first encounter with them, he said, come follow me. And they knew what that meant. They, they, meant, they knew that that meant that Jesus was a rabbi and that they were going to follow him and they would learn his teachings. And then once they would learn his teachings, he would send him out. They would send, he would send them out and they would then carry his yoke of teaching to the next generation and so on. And so they knew what it meant to follow him in that way was, was to learn from him and to learn and embrace his set of teachings and then to go and do what, what he was doing. And so when they began to follow Jesus, that was kind of their understanding. And they began to follow him and they followed him into broken lives. They followed him into places where he got rejected. They followed him into places where there were crazy um, unthought of miracles, and Jesus was leading them in this miraculous teaching kind of life. And, and they had grown accustomed to that, and they had grown to, to love Jesus, and they were passionate about Jesus, and they were anticipating Jesus doing some things that, well, quite honestly, he wasn't going to do. But then when Jesus started talking with this different kind of language, he started talking about leaving, he started talking about um, not being with them anymore, and this, this language disturbed them. This language um, threw them in, into a place where they were like, wait a minute, this isn't where we've been going. This isn't like why we've been following. We haven't been following you so that you could just leave us. And they got very concerned, and they, the Scripture says that they were, they were heartbroken. And they had followed Jesus in a sense, and and he came up to that night when, when he was arrested. They followed him that far, but when he was arrested, the majority of them said that that does it for us, and they, they backed out, and, and just a, a handful still kind of stayed with Jesus and followed him to the cross and his humiliation. And that's what we typically call the, the, the cross of Christ was, was his humiliation, that God had taken on human form and humbled himself to be a servant, a servant that even would go so far as going to the cross. And so the humiliation of Christ, they, they followed Him there. But then, as they were drawn back to Jesus three days later, as their hopes were revived, as their joy was revived, as their love was even reinstituted, they began to be excited once again about following Jesus because after all, He was back and He had conquered the grave. He had done what no one had ever done in and of themselves before. And so, they were following Jesus 
very closely. They, they didn't want to experience that again. They've been listening to him for a period of 40 days as he was talking about the kingdom of God. They were still slightly confused because they still asked the question in Acts chapter 1 if this was the time when you were going to restore the kingdom to Israel. In other words, restore us to prominence. So they were still unclear about what was going on, but yet in their love for Jesus, they were going to be obedient now. They weren't going to run, and they weren't going to hide, and they weren't going to um, crouch back in fear any longer. There was a boldness to them. There was a, it was a passion to them. They had now seen all that Jesus was teaching through the lens of His resurrection, and so they were prepared now to suffer, and they were prepared now to, to be obedient, and that's just what they did. They obeyed Jesus by waiting. They obeyed Jesus by staying together. They obeyed Jesus by praying for one another and waiting for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. But as they did that, they, they were waiting on Jesus who had ascended. His ascension. A very key moment in Christian history. We celebrate His birth with Christmas. We celebrate His death and resurrection through Easter. We are very in tune and in very um, wanting the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and to lead us and guide us and comfort us. And, and we know that the Holy Spirit of God is God's presence within God's people. And so, but we forget sometimes about this very key moment that Jesus talked about at length in a very common passage of Scripture that we know as the Upper Room Discourse. And as you're grabbing your Bible, turning to John chapter 13, we're going to talk today about this overwhelming theme, following the glorified Jesus. Following the glorified Jesus. This is going to be something different for all His people that were following Him in His earthly ministry, but it's something that you and I have been doing ever since Christ has called you to follow Him. You have been following, whether you realize it or not, you have been following a glorified Jesus. A glorified Jesus. I want to talk to you about that and what that means for us today. Because sometimes following Jesus leaves us in a position that if we're not quite sure um, how we're supposed to do that, I think we get a little bit lost in following Jesus. I think sometimes we let some space get in between us or we think that Jesus is going to go a certain way or, or, and, and He doesn't or we get this whole Christian experience turned around backwards and we expect that if I have faith in something, that if I have faith that Jesus will do something, then He'll actually do it for me and we get this thing turned around, then in reality we live out our Christian experience thinking that Jesus is supposed to be following us. And in many ways here in America, um, true Christian theology has been moved to the side a bit, or maybe a lot, <laughs> and the American dream has been moved to the center. And we have falsely and wrongly, and to our detriment, have lived out our Christian experience believing that if I put my trust in Jesus, then He'll enable me through the power of the Spirit to overcome all that hinders me from getting what I want. And so we, we tend to believe that Jesus will forgive me from all of my sins and then bless me with what I want. And my Christian experience becomes this getting from Jesus. That I'm following Him to get something. I'm following Him to benefit. I'm following Him to, to realize the best person that I could ever be. And it becomes this idea of me, 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 
and Jesus do for me and follow me. And we get this Christian experience somewhat backwards, but if we would come back and understand this idea that we are following, that we're still the, the, that key word following, the Christian is a follower of Jesus, that if we're following the glorified Christ. Let's go back, before we look at the book of Acts chapter 1, let's go back and look at what Jesus actually said about this. Because before the event even took place, um, during the last week of Jesus' life, he taught extensively on his glorification. And he knew that he was going to be humbled and then resurrected and then glorified. He understood that. So he's trying to give his disciples this information so that when it happens, their faith won't be destroyed. Okay, so he's trying to tell them ahead of time. But as so often humans do, we forget what Jesus told us and we just hold on to what we want him to say. And then when something happens in our life that's difficult to handle, then what happens is we, we tend to freak out for a minute. We tend to lose hope. We lose faith. And we start to take matters into our own hands. And we start to make a bigger mess than what we've been led into. And what we need to do is go back and understand what really did Jesus say about this. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles, please, I want to look for a moment at what Jesus taught about his ascension in the upper room discourse the whole thing which you'll have to read on your own um, in its entirety john chapter 13 through 17 will give you a good idea of what jesus was teaching there the first thing that we come to understand in chapter 13 and again you're going to have to read a lot of this on your own the ascension is jesus glorification so if you're wondering what took place in acts chapter 1 as the disciples were there standing jesus had given them this promise. He had given this command. He said, wait in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And when he does, you will have power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria and outermost parts of the earth. He had given them this promise. And then he left. He ascended into heaven. And he, his disciples were left kind of standing there and kind of gazing up into the sky. Now, Jesus had told them all about this extensively. I want to read to you a couple of key verses out of this teaching that Jesus gave. The first one is in verse 31 through 34 of John chapter 13. Looking please, he said, when he had gone out, Jesus said, that's when he had gone out, when Judas had gone out. Remember, it was his time to betray. So Judas had gone out. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while, catch the, the wordiness of this. Little children, yet a little while, I am with you. You will seek me just as I said to the Jews. So now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus is talking about something that he knows is going to confuse them, but he says focus on loving each other. When this gets crazy, when this gets kind of out of control in your mind, know that I've told you beforehand this is for my glorification. However, stick with loving each other. When all else fails, love people around you. 
Simon Peter said to him, Lord, we are, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can we not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will crow, excuse me, will not crow till you have denied me three times. Jesus is talking here about something that's going to be very difficult and his focus is on their faith and on their love. So the ascension, very plainly, as you'll even understand further as we move along and as you read the text in its entirety, is for Jesus' glorification. To help us understand that a little bit more, turn to the book of um, Hebrews, excuse me, and uh, go and look at right here at the beginning of the book of Hebrews, the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 1. Notice what it says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the, pow- by the word of his power. Now get this, after making purification for sins, that's the cross. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's the ascension. Verse 4, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For which, verse 5, of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And you can read on there in Hebrews chapter 1. And that describes that moment when after he had made purifications for sins, what did he do? He sat at the throne of God. He sat in the seat of power. He sat in the seat of authority. And there is his glorification. So if you're wondering, where did Jesus go? He went back to his place of authority. He had humbled himself, he had walked the human life, he had walked the servant's life, he had gone to the cross, he had made purifications for sin, he had conquered the grave, and now Jesus has ascended back to his rightful place of honor, his rightful place of power and authority, his rightful place of being glorified beyond and above anything else. So his ascension was his glorification. Jesus' ascension was also a going to prepare a place. A going to prepare a place. This, this is going to get unpacked a little bit more next week as we start to work through this time and towards the day of Pentecost. But this, for now, just for today, I want to look at the next few verses in the book of John. In verse 14, verses 1 through 3, we read this. Let not your hearts be troubled, troubled, Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Notice the goal. Where Jesus is, you and I will be also. Now, this ascension is a going to prepare a place. Now, the language here gets very, very confusing 
because in our more um, Western kind of world where we separate things <laughs> and, and we, we think of the physical world and the spiritual world as being disconnected, in the Jewish sense, these were not connected. They, they were interlocked and intertwining. And it wasn't as though they looked and said, here, we are here, and then you have the heavens and, or the, the cosmos, and then beyond the universe is this spiritual kind of place way over there. That, that, that's not a Jewish or a Christian kind of thought. We read this and we think that Jesus like, left and went beyond the universe and He's living out there somewhere and then He sent His Holy Spirit all the way over here and then His Holy Spirit indwells us and He's over there and we're over here. And we think that Jesus is somehow, because He was a craftsman in His day, He was a carpenter's son, that we think somehow Jesus is way over there beyond the cosmos with His grand construction team and He's building up heaven. That He's building the new Jerusalem. He's building all of these places. And I understand why some people would believe that because that's in some ways what has been handed down to us. But, but that was not the case. You'll discover that as we look deeper into this next week, okay, next week, um, you'll see that the language that the, uh, that the gospel writers use and that Paul uses is that Jesus is still working in and among us. That He's still here that He's still doing things through us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And notice the goal, that we may be where He is. And so I know that I'm leaving you a little bit of a cliffhanger there. We'll dive more into that next week. But the ascension of Jesus was His, go- was his glorification. The ascension of Jesus was His going to prepare a place. Okay, very key. And then finally, the, glor- the glorification or the ascension of Jesus meant that the Holy Spirit could now indwell those who believe. Notice as you would move on, as you're going to read this entirety as your homework, in John chapter 16, verses 1-15, through 15, Jesus talks about this experience that each of His disciples are going to have, and then He prays in chapter 17 that this experience is not just for those that were in His immediate presence, but also for all those who would believe because of their Word, and that is us. And Jesus, in, as He's talking to them, and then they're in this heartbroken state. Remember at the beginning in chapter 14, He said, let not your hearts be troubled. So that's the listening audience. They're, in, they're feeling this sense of trouble, this sense of angst. Jesus says He's going away and we can't go. And so they're full of angst. And He says, but it's good that I go away. It's good that I go away. Notice He says, I have said all these things to you. Verse 1 keeping you from falling away. So that's why he's telling them, I don't, when this happens, I don't want you to fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. That's all the book of Acts right there summarized. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. And he says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask where are you going, but because I have said these things, you have sorrow in your heart. 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, then I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And if you see, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Still, have, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you, all that the Father has in Mine. Therefore I said that He will take what is Mine and declare to you. So Jesus' ascension. What is it in summary? It's His glorification. It's His going to prepare a place. And it is a means by which when He leaves, being in a human body, when He leaves, the Spirit of God can come and fill each believer and, judge and lead and guide as the Helper leading us and guiding us in all truth. So, what are we left with at this point? We are left with these disciples mind-blown, heartbroken, and questioning everything that is going on. That's John 16 and 17. But after Jesus' resurrection, they're full of courage again. They're full of hope again. Oh, they don't have it all down, but they are once again full of hope and they are listening. And when you get to Acts chapter 1, you have this picture of these disciples and the soon-to-be apostles. And you have Luke writing. And Luke tells us the account of this time, this thing called, this event called the Ascension. He says in verse 1, In the first book, O Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus began, notice a key word, began to do and to teach until the day He was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while they were staying with them, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up on a, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go 
into heaven, the ascension of Jesus. Now as we are here following an ascended Christ, a glorified Christ, as we are following a Jesus that has said that He's preparing a place for us to be together, as we follow a Jesus that is now not here in bodily form, but is here in the person of the Holy Spirit filling each one of us, how do we live? It would have been easier, right, if Jesus was in a follow Him and He's going from Galilee and He's moving on and He's going to this city, He's going to that city and He's stopping here for the night and He's going to this community and He's teaching in the synagogue here and He's moving there and we're just following along, watching Him do all this great and mighty stuff. But what are we supposed to do? How do we follow this glorified Jesus? I think that we're tempted to make Christianity about getting what we want. I think that we get so kind of confused sometimes with what it means to follow Jesus that we start just kind of going back to where the disciples went. Lord, is it this time when you're going to give me what I want? Is it at this time when I'm finally going to have the breakthrough? Is it this time when I'm finally going to get my miracle? Is it this time? Is it this time? And Jesus says, maybe not for you to know. So we're tempted to turn Christianity around. But Jesus has told us all that we need to know. He's told us, but we're prone to neglect it. So if you're asking a question this morning, well, Pastor, if I'm not supposed to be living my life following Jesus to, to kind of be a better me or to do better or to, to become something, what, what am I supposed to do? I'm going to tell you to go read your Bible. I'm going to tell you to go back, and it starts with what Jesus said in, in John. Love one another. So just for today, if you are asking yourself, how am I doing following Jesus? How am I doing following the glorified Christ? You first would ask yourself a question, am I loving well? Am I loving the people around me in a way that Jesus loved me? Because that's what following Him means. I'm following Him and I'm loving like He loved. So that would be a great place to start. A great place to start. But sometimes we often stand like they did. We stand around just waiting for Him to come back. Just wait. Life stinks. The world is broken. Dumb things happen. And we're just supposed to kind of suffer through it. We're just supposed to huddle together and, and stay close to one another and just hope that Jesus returns before it gets any worse. And that's not the way to live either. You see, following the glorified Jesus is participating in the community that He is creating. Remember, and I'm going to talk about it more next week, remember that Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And so, if He's preparing a place for us, and then you kind of, with that question, Jesus preparing a place for us, well, what is He doing? Then you start reading about all of the ways that the apostles start to for lack of a better way to explain it, they start to build the church. They start to use this language that is found in the book of Hebrews. He says, so this, he says, so put away, I'm sorry, not Hebrews, so Peter. Peter, who was with Jesus, you know, who had abandoned Jesus, and he's got pretty good insight about what is going on. He says this in his first epistle. He says, so put away all malice 
and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. He says, put that stuff away. And then he says, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, listen to this language, are being built up into a spiritual house. Oh, a spiritual house. To be a priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a stone, excuse me, laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the corner, excuse me, the, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this glorious light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you, have, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What is Jesus building? He's building the church. That's what he's preparing. And if you think that I'm nuts, just read your Bible. Because so many of us have this picture in Jesus that he's left and he's building mansions in heaven. That he's, he's over there building mansions. And you know how greedy we get? We think to ourselves, oh good, when I go to heaven, I'm getting a mansion. And we get all into this thing. We get all into what we're going to get. Why? Because we have assumed that Christianity is about following a God to achieve the American dream. And we've missed the notion that the people of God throughout Scripture saw themselves as sojourners, as people that were temporarily traveling through, living in tents, living in something temporary. And Jesus is, is now telling us that He's going to prepare a place for us. And when He uses that word mansions, He's using this word that means an eternal or a fixed place. That He's saying that it's, it's, a, it's not a temporary, but a forever place. And so He's building this forever place. And He's building us. He's building people. He's building a community. And God that does not dwell in temples built with hands, but He indwells His people. And so if, God, if Jesus is building a place for all of us to be together, Him with us, and us with Him, He's building a community. So how do we follow an ascended Christ? How do we follow a glorified Jesus? We follow Him first and foremost by loving others and by loving others and participating in this building of community. And so I challenge you, during this time when we can't meet in this place, that you focus on the most important thing that you can do is that is loving people around you. Being part of community in people's lives. 
And in that sense, God is going to do some amazing things in your life. I believe this is a time when God is helping us to see what is most important. And what is most important about the church is being together. That was what Jesus' whole purpose was. Is that God had created us, but we had rebelled against Him. But He so lovingly wanted us to be back in communion with Him and in fellowship with Him that He did all that He did that is recorded in Scripture. The why behind the what is that God simply wants to be with you. That He created you out of the love that is His essence. And when He created you, He created a being so that He can pour His love into that being. And so that you can love Him in return. And so as we celebrate the ascension of Jesus, as we celebrate the coming and arrival of the Holy Spirit, may you understand that God's total goal is to be with you. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for loving each one of us. We know, Lord, that a lot is said in this text, and I threw a lot of stuff out there that really needs to um, be unpacked more. But Father, I pray that you would move each one a little further down the road of knowing you today through this message, through this word. They would, they would participate with you today in what you are building. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next time.